No one will know you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What do I need to do? The guilty flee. The guilty when no one pursues. All right. Am I good to go? It looks like it goes up. Okay. Thanks. Thanks. Okay. Well, uh, I'm honored to be here uh, speaking with you tonight. It's been a while since I have taught. And um, some of you I know pretty well. Actually, the violators who came in late, um, (laughs) Walt and Teresa, helped us to move down here from Boston 23 and a half years ago. So we've known the Reddicks uh, a while, known a, a few people around the room for quite a while. But a lot of you I don't know, and you don't know me, and you might be glad about that. (laughs) But I did feel like um, I wanted to give you a little bit of a background about me and where I'm coming from, because as I I lead the thing tonight, um, it might be a little bit different from how Mick and how Jeff have taught. I'm not in graduate school right now, getting a theology degree of any sort. So you will, right off the bat, probably be able to tell that. Um, But let me tell you a little bit about my own experience, uh, and I think it'll inform kind of where I'm coming from. So I've been a Christian since 1982, so just past 40 years as a Christian. I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a grandfather. I did spend eight years in the ministry, a year and a half in Colorado at the campus ministry where my wife and I were both converted at Colorado State. Back in, uh, I think we were in the ministry from mid-year 84 till we left in 86. Uh, We moved to Boston from there. About 10 years ago, I hit a crisis in my uh, crisis point, my faith. Uh, You know, the series we did a few months ago on deconstruction was very pertinent for me. And if you've been here, some of the times I've been here, I've made comments about deconstruction. About 10 years ago, I really began a deconstructing of my faith. Um, and, and really the whole point of deconstruction is to reconstruct. And I thought about those of you who have been in Atlanta a while, if you remember the old Georgia Dome a few years ago where they imploded in it and all came down, why'd they do that? So that they could build Mercedes-Benz Stadium, right? Something better. That's the whole idea of reconstruction. Um, and there's a whole lot to all that. So I have probably read more books on spirituality and spiritual formation in the last five to six years than in the 35 years before that put together. So I've been, I can't get enough of it. I've been sort of, uh, you know, eating it up. I do try to engage in uh, various spiritual disciplines on a regular basis, and I'm always experimenting with new ones. So you'll get a sense of that even tonight. What I do for a living is I do leadership training. So I have a training background is what I do for a living. Um, and you'll also get a feel for that tonight and whenever I might teach. Um, So uh, I want my approach tonight, and anytime I speak, I want to approach this material less from an informational perspective and more from an experiential perspective. And you're like, what does that mean? I'm going to have you all up doing weird stuff. No, I'm not going to do that. I do need someone, though, who can read uh, Genesis 9. And I'm going to ask whoever it is to read the entire chapter out loud to us. Wow, pedal, that was quick. 
So if you could, what translation are you reading from, by the way? NKJV. Okay. If you could, yeah, start there in verse 1, and you can, of course, all follow along if you'd like. <coughs> 1 through 29. Yep. So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, and the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth, on every bird of the air, on all that move on the earth, and on all the fish of the sea. They are given into your hand. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I have given you all things, even as the green herbs. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. Surely, for your lifeblood, I will demand a reckoning. From the hand of every beast, I will require it, and from the hand of man. From the hand of every man's brother, I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. And as for you, be fruitful and multiply. Bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply in it. Then God spoke to Noah and to his sons with him, saying, And as for me, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, and every beast of the earth with you, of all that go out of the ark, every beast of the earth, Thus I, <laughs> thus I establish my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I set my rainbow in the clouds, and it shall be for the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. It shall be when I bring a cloud over the earth, that the rainbow shall be seen in the cloud, and I'll remember my covenant which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. The water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. The rainbow shall be in the cloud, and I will look on it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Now the sons of Noah who went out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the whole earth was populated. And Noah began to be a farmer, and he planted a vineyard. Then he drank of the wine and was drunk, and became uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father, and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and went backward, and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned away, and they did not see their father's nakedness. So Noah woke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done to him. Then he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants. He shall be to his brethren. And he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth, and may he dwell in the, t in the tents of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. 
And Noah lived after the flood 350 years. So all the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. Let's give Petal a round of applause. Yeah. Was very well done. Thank you for that. That was, that was great. All right, there's a lot in this chapter, a lot going on. And what I would like us to do is basically, I'm going to break you up in three groups and give each, I'm going to give you 20 minutes to, I have some sheets that are going to have some specific questions for you. And so there'll be, there'll be three groups. Each group has got somewhat different questions that you're focusing on. You're all going to, you can use the whole chapter, but each group is going to have a specific focus to it. So spend 20 minutes, have a rich discussion, you know, share, challenge each other, um, think outside of the box, whatever, um, in, in answering the questions. And then I will pull everybody back together. And by the way, don't feel like you have to stay in this room. So if your group wants to go out there or somewhere else in the building, don't go too far away. I need to find you and get you back when 20 minutes are up. Then we'll come back and we'll have each group sort of report out not how you answered every question, but what were your main takeaways from your discussion? Okay, there's the trainer in me right there. And then I'll have some comments uh, based on each group's conclusions, and then we'll close out at 9 o'clock. So that's right, 9 o'clock, right? Some people are like, is he, is he serious? No. No, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Not serious, not serious, <laughs> 9 o'clock. All right, so um, let's go like right here. If you can see where I'm pointing, so Brittany and everybody on. You guys over to here will be group two in the middle. You guys on this side will be group one, so group one, group two, then you guys will be group three. All right, so you're going to need to pick a spokesperson to uh, report out. So that person is probably going to need to take some notes. <laughs> on what you talk about as a group. I'm just handing this to, yeah, yeah. I'm just handing this to somebody, anybody. You, it, it doesn't mean I'm designating you as anything. You can just give that. Yeah, you can hand that, hand that to somebody else if you want. Anybody want this? Doesn't mean you have to lead the discussion or anything. Pierre, would you like to do this? Would you like to do this? What am I doing? Just, uh, you can read the questions, everybody. That's, you guys can decide as a group who's going to report back. I'm not saying you have to do it. Oh, great. Your group decided they had to get up and move I out. I know, yeah. right? I know. <laughs> Couldn't they have been more sensitive?
Mike still hasn't stopped beating you, is that right? <laughs> Everybody says that. <laughs> yeah. What did you do to her? All right, this will be good. Yeah, yeah, somebody's going to have to read the questions, everybody. of mankind was evil, which is why God was like, I'm not, but I would be like, mm-hmm. like you said, uh, we dream of being uh, made stewards 
manager, but we will be held in terms of the debt. And we need to give that, and we need to give that as a license of what we do. I think what's going to be is covenant to God. That's a covenant. God gave a covenant to his people, and he gave it to his descendants. But as you're looking through it, he's making a covenant with Noah. But it's almost as though Noah is kind of just the arbiter of it. Because it's a covenant for you and the earth. And everywhere after that, it's like, this is a covenant with me and the earth. Me and the earth. Um, I think, I've been reading a book recently. He very much condemns individuality in God's church. And that we're looking after our own needs. What is mine? What have I been done? And I think in some ways, it's like a what has God just done with most of the world? In what ways did God bless Noah and his family? So what had God just done with most of the world? In what ways did God bless Noah and his family? Just destroyed the world Expects of us, and um, I don't know. For me, that feels different, but maybe revealing it again. I think it also shows he doesn't show grudges. He doesn't hold grudges. Wow. He wanted to point out that what they did was wrong, but he still shows. I like the reference to you know the rainbows and the clouds because my wife and I are people that we. See the stars, the rainbows, the clouds, we always think about God. But I don't think of it in terms of that's the covenant between God and me. And I think that, that's the cool thing to think about. Were there rainbows before then? <laughs> Like, we don't know, like, we could have had a glass and just got out. Yeah. I mean, like, as I'm reading it, it doesn't necessarily, and, and I'm assuming that that's what the reference is. It's yeah, we're not like, that, yeah. all right, I'm going to get blitzed tonight. It's, he had some wine, and then he got drunk and passed out. Like, 
Hey, do you guys want me to read that? Not necessarily in temporary. No. Right. Okay. Hey, this is a, a Genesis uh, uh, 6 9. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God, and Noah begot three sons Shem, Ham, and Japheth. <clears throat> the earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was a corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on earth, the way on the earth. Yeah, nothing else outside of Genesis. Genesis. Yeah, okay. referring was Genesis. to why he was born. Oh, you say okay. Now I was going to say nothing else outside of what we are thinking was the wrong thing. I would see that would, you know, divert. There's some, you know, him being a righteous, considered a righteous man. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't, I mean, I guess maybe I just reconcile it. Like, I'm like, so he got drunk. Like, the issue I see is, I don't understand what the big deal is that your son saw you naked. Like, I don't understand why that's a cursable offense. Well, I'm, I'm guessing that his intoxication led him to that kind of situation. Right, I don't get that. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
almost him anticipating that. It's kind of like, I know that people will need an additional sign. Because he could have just said, I'm never going to do this again. Um, but I think God can kind of already see just how humanity is. We, we like need that extra emphasis or promise um, or we need something to remind us of who God is and his compassion and his care for us. So I think um, that's kind of what I was thinking about is it's it's God re-emphasizing something that he didn't need to re-emphasize because he knows how easy it is for us to forget. So that's something I was thinking about. What was the thing about the curse again? What did God do with those curses came in? I think he just honors it. Like, I got a question regarding that. Is it's it's like um, God, you know, kept finished about about the rainbow being a covenant, and then in eighteen it talks about Noah getting drunk or having too much wine, and then his sons trying to cover him up, so I don't really know what the second part of the chapter has to do with the covenant, I guess. Strange question. I feel like it shows, I earlier, the idea that it's not like the covenant was taken away from him when he messed up and he made people who look at us like, oh, you're you know, your father, you're you know, one of your kids and getting drunk after God did all these amazing things for you. And he's like, you know, I still feel like And on that lighter note, I didn't realize that we have to make sure that our stick is really Five more minutes, by the so, way. You know, so they bless the. I don't get. It. Hold, hold that. I don't get the hold that. Hold that thought. Like, the next question is, what does he have to do? Five more minutes. Five more minutes. About five more minutes. Okay, the final question. How do you honestly think of God in the Old Testament? Can you actually trust that God? Can you honestly trust God with your life? How do you honestly think of God in the Old Testament? Can you actually trust God with your life? Can you actually trust that God? Oh, oh okay, sorry. Thank you. That God is the Old Testament. Yeah. 
exhibited by that man. And um, if I don't do it or, or get the chance to hear it in, in, in eternity, but I just feel like. I get what the, I disagree with that commentary. Especially with commentary. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, no, you need to do Eber, guy. Yeah. Yeah. But, 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 you know, it, it says, and Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Like, yeah. why would you? That's the thing. Why would you? Like, that's Zeke, don't go in there. Why would you say that? Why yeah, like I feel like don't go in there now. But I think even in that, like it all sort of, it all has a purpose. You know, you start to something becomes extinct, and then and then that whole uh, eco structure is totally. You know, change, and then that affects so many different areas of, of life. And I think you know, just that whole idea of lifeblood. You know that uh, you must not eat meat that has the lifeblood in it. That lifeblood is—it's it's like there's something sacred about that. There's something, you know, even when you you think about the different, um, you know, the, the different laws that, uh, that that God gave about, you know, body fluids. You know, All right, you guys, 20 minutes is up. Sorry, sorry, Mark. So make sure that, <laughs> that you have a spokesperson who can kind of share the main takeaways from your group, and then we'll head, head on back. We're going to all come back in. Make sure you have a spokesperson who can kind of share some of the main takeaways from your group. <laughs> all right, you guys, we're coming, we're pulling it back together. Yeah. 
So make sure you have a spokesperson. Somebody can share your main takeaways. I, I, I'm hopping on that. Yeah, that, that was the thing. We need, we need to get the main takeaways. That would make some We talked about different, different things, different questions and whatnot, but the big one from us is really the main takeaway. Um, God is merciful. Yes. It puts up with a lot of mess. experience. Way to go, Pierre. Way to go. Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. Can somebody shut the door in the back, please? I know it gets hot. All right, everybody. All right. So, let's talk about this a little bit. I heard a lot of great discussion, by the way, as I walked around each group, listening to things you guys were throwing out there, wrestling with. I loved it. Some really rich conversation. I wanted to break you up because there's so much in this chapter, and I figured if we all, as a group, try to you know, deal with all of that, it's, 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 even with breaking up, it's so much in each section. So group one focused more on what you see about the God who appears in Genesis 9. And of course, the whole writing of the Bible is not about, did God really create the world this way? Why do the dinosaurs not mentioned? Right? It's not a cataloging of how did God do this and is it factual? The Bible is all about how, coming to know about the God who is interpreting for us the events that went on, right? Some are factual, some are stories, some are poetry, whatever. All of it designed to help us come to know that God, right? No, not just in a head sense, but know experientially, right? The word yada is the word know in the Old Testament. It's the same word Adam knew Eve. Right? It's a very intimate sort of experiential thing. It's not just head knowledge. So, group one, you were focused on this God who is showing up. What did you? What were some of your main conclusions, whoever your spokesperson is? Okay, I was voted in. All right. <laughs> I hear the joy in your voice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> over and over again with the agreement, the covenant, a relationship with us. God is merciful and still wants a relationship with us. God gives direction to his people. God shows his humanity. He wants the reminder, he wants the reminder of the rainbow for his covenant with us. 
God had just destroyed the world and saved Noah and his family. God gave clear direction, which reveals a different side than being mysterious. <clears throat> it reveals God doesn't hold grudges. A good reminder that rainbows is an actual covenant. Takes a couple of minutes to read, but this took 40 or more years of Noah's life choosing faithfulness. The covenant <coughs> is extravagant. God gives us so much and reveals how much he blesses Noah and his family and us more than we deserve. God honors Noah's choice to curse Canaan. Noah and his family don't withhold favor even when mistakes were made. God saves Noah. Noah gets God's blessing of being saved just like us. God establishes his covenant and restores his relationships. Um, and then people wander and mess up. But the rainbow seems to show God knows that about us, he is generous to us in giving us a rainbow. God's curse reveals God's grace um, <laughs> in not with withholding his agreement, even though we mess up. The <clears throat> Old Testament, God is the same God as in the New Testament. It just reveals another side. Trusting hmm. God, knowing he doesn't change from Noah's day. Sometimes the Old Testament God is hard, is hard, feels hard to understand and feel his grace. But Jesus' representation helps us and pairs with us to see his forgiveness. Um, sometimes modern age issues feel hard to interpret biblically, but getting to the core of God's character helps. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes. Amen. Yes. Very good. But, yeah, yeah. That was a lot. That was a lot. So I wanted to, I wanted you know that group to specifically focus on the nature of God. And, you know, some of the questions in there, they didn't really, you, you, the rest of the two groups didn't see the questions. One of the questions in there was, is God safe? Why? Because what had God just done? Destroyed the world. Destroyed the world. And I, I was walking around and I heard one person literally say, well, if I were them, I'd be scared right now. And that's kind of the point. Right? When you look at the God of the Old Testament... And I know this was a real revelation for me a few years ago. I realized I knew I should trust God. But I looked at the God of the Old Testament and I saw a lot of destruction, a lot of wrath. And I thought, what if I had a friend who acted like that God? Would I honestly be drawn to that friend? Do I feel like I honestly could trust that friend? And the answer I came up with was no. If I'm honest, I know I should. I know that's the right thing to say as a Christian. But if I look at God that way in what I see and, and interpret, I can't trust that God. Now, I think a lot of that comes from we've come through an environment um, most of us in our own spiritual formation, where a view of God has been painted for us and the scriptures are there that can paint God to be a really challenging, scary person to deal with. Uh, A.W. Tozer said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. 
And I, I completely agree with that. So, we often tend to think of God as all-powerful, holy, judge. He's going to repay the wicked for their wickedness. And by the way, I'm wicked, so what does that mean for me? Uh, whereas we often tend to think of Jesus as gentle, loving, forgiving, accepting, self-sacrificial. And so my point here with that group, for all of us, is God is like Christ in every way. And there is nothing about God, even the God of the Old Testament, that's not Christ-like. Now, if you buy into that, then you look at the Old Testament, you're going to dig more because you're like, how could Jesus be like this? What's really going on here? Um, and so with each of these groups, I have an exercise for you to try, not here in the group, but if you want to go deeper and sort of experiencing this sort of thing, this is called God is Christ-like in every way. And so here's what I would invite you to consider doing on your own. Write down all the words that you associate with God. Just brainstorm all the things you think about in terms of words you would associate uh, about God. Then do make another list and describe all the words that come to your mind when you think about Jesus. And then compare them. And just consider, do I really see that God has never changed? And the New Testament unequivocally says that Jesus was God in the flesh. So, maybe I need to inspect my own view of God. And Jesus. And, and Jesus, right. Yeah. Yeah. So, that's my take on that. The second group, you guys were more focused on what you see in Genesis 9 in God's relationship with nature, right? Interesting ideas. Even when I was watching them begin to unpack that, I could see the looks on people's faces like, what? <laughs> so who's the person who's speaking up? Okay, yeah, go ahead, Dwayne. It's all right. There's grace here. Yeah. <laughs> all right, so here we go. Uh, our question was, what does Genesis 9 reveal to you about the non-human created world? Uh, who all is the covenant for? What is different from the creation here from before Genesis 9? So pre-flood, post-flood? Yep. Okay. Um, what does God's covenant with nature reveal to you? A, about how God feels about nature. B, about mankind's relationship with nature. And then uh, the final question was, how does all this affect you and your relationship with nature? So um, what does Genesis 9 reveal to you about the non-human created world? Uh, a few of the comments that, that uh, I took down was uh, were that there's a sense of dependency on us as human beings and uh, that we have dominion over uh, the animal kingdom and uh, but we're also 
held what we will also be held responsible. Um, who is the covenant for? The covenant's not just for Noah, uh, but it's for <coughs> all of us. Um, and then we uh, actually got into a discussion about uh, covenants being um, understood by both parties and whether or not the the animals understand or it, are they just under the submission of kind of like their ingrained nature mm-hmm. um, and people made really really good points and I'm not sure if I actually I didn't capture all the good points you know they, Yeah. So um, I think it's still, it, I'll still be discussing it. Um, okay. Um, God will hold everything accountable, uh, was another note that I took down. Um, not just human beings, but, but uh, the, the animals as well. And um, we're not supposed to consume blood. And, uh, but all things can be. And. Uh, that each created thing has a significant impact and effect on its ecosystem. It's not, uh, it's basically like a domino effect. It yeah. you know, affects, mm-hmm. affects other things. Um, and that was kind of in relationship <coughs> to, uh, you know, when something becomes extinct or if we mismanage something mm-hmm. uh, because of, you know, greed or exploitation mm-hmm. and remove it from the from its ecosystem the impact that it has and that like mm-hmm. we have examples of it being <coughs> extremely detrimental mm-hmm. um certain things are, are removed from their ecosystem um because of greed mismanagement or whatever the case may be mm-hmm. um and so that's that's all i have okay right. yeah fantastic fantastic <laughs> All right. So, you know, interesting stuff here about nature, right? Uh, Genesis 1 talks about how God created everything, nature included, good. Then when we get into Genesis 6, it says that the whole world, even the earth, had become corrupt. It wasn't just man. It was somehow the earth, the animals somehow, right? So um, God is, moves in nature. And my question here, you know, for all of us is, you know, the last question was, how does this affect your relationship with nature? Um, and I think we often tend to think about nature as something to be used and then disposable. It's, let's discard it. And sometimes as Christian, I've heard people say, and I've said it even down through the years, eh, it's all going to burn. Because maybe we've had a theology. God's just going to burn everything up. Animals are just there for our food, right? So it doesn't matter if I kick my cat or slap my dog or whatever, right? They're just animals. That's 
not how God looks at nature. I'm sure none of you would kick your cat or slap your dog. It's just your spouse you might do that with. But, um, but, and I do think, though we may not say it, we tend to think, and I've even heard people use the term stupid animals. Well, they're just a stupid animal, right? Um, and we don't necessarily mean it to be disrespectful, but I think that we're afraid of seeing God as nature, and so we don't see God in nature. And let me read you a couple passages that I think are really interesting. Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. Yeah. Who does? The heavens. It's not just people. Job 12.7-10, listen to this. But ask the animals, this is God speaking to Noah, or to Job, and they will teach you, or the birds in the sky, and they will tell you, or speak to, to the earth, and it will teach you, or let the fish in the sea inform you, which of all these do, does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this. In his hand is the life of every creature and the breath of all mankind. Incredible. Even Romans 8.22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning together as it suffers together the pains of labor. Who's suffering? The whole creation. Now, I don't understand all that. So, Jeff and Mick, they can answer those questions for you. I don't understand how all that works. <laughs> but I do know that um, I was at a retreat a couple of months ago, and I had this uh, spiritual direction time with this person, and they determined that um, I am always in production mode. So they challenge me. I challenge you to spend some time, you know, out in nature and do nothing except enjoy it. So I spent 45 minutes watching ants on this table outside get the crumbs off the table and then take them places. It was fascinating. It was amazing. And about a year ago, I came across this article. I think it was on Facebook. And, and the articles showed that giraffes will approach a tree to eat this certain tree, the leaves on the tree. The tree becomes aware that there's a predator eating its leaves. So what it does is it sends out a chemical, not only from that tree, but to the other trees in this sort of gro grove, and they will turn the leaves bitter. The it gets even better. The giraffe knows this. And so the giraffe will purposely start eating from the tree against downwind. So that, that the, the tree can't communicate upwind. So don't tell me nature is stupid and that somehow God's not in this. Right? I mean, and it, this was not a religious thing. This was just some scientific thing. Wow. So, um, so here's my little exercise for you if you want to dig further into this. I call this, In Him We Live and Move and Have Our Being. Sounds like a scripture from Acts, doesn't it? Take some time outdoors and notice and or journal all of the ways you see God in nature. Compare that with your everyday attitude towards animals and nature. 
Are we treating nature like God would want us to treat nature? So, all right, last group. I know we're out of time. Were we supposed to stop at eight, by the way? Okay, all right, group three. Who's the spokesperson for group three? 30 seconds. All right. Go. Okay, Pierre. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no pressure from your wife. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I, I'm not nursing a cold, but sometimes I don't understand my own handwriting. <laughs> so, let's see. So, ours was, I, cool, I didn't even know you actually did this on purpose. Ours was, what does Genesis 9 reveal to you about mankind? And um, ultimately, that we're messed up. All right. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, for sure, for real. The first question was, um, in what ways do you think the world before the flood might have influenced Noah and his family? And really, the fact that you know, the, the, you know, like you're saying, the earth was full of violence and just corrupt, and the reason why God did this, that really showed that we are just messed up, right? And, and seeing Noah and his family and what God did in that um, shows that even despite of that, God is like incredibly faithful. Um, so we stop there that. Second question we spent a lot of time on. It was about, um, okay, if Noah is a righteous and blameless man who walked with God, how do you reconcile Genesis 9? And we were like, okay, well, what? What are we reconciling, right? And we were like, okay, the fact that he was drunk, right? Or the fact that, you know, he, he fell asleep or whatever or, 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 what, or whatnot. So we we're, were talking about that. And ultimately, we kind of realized Scott actually said something. He said, like, um, uh, there are different perspectives, right? And in a lot of ways, we didn't really have the perspective of the writer and even at the time. So context is key. So that's one thing mm. I feel like we took away is that context mm -hmm. is super important. Okay, well, what is it that, um, you know, prompted this question? Like, we would have reconciled. Maybe yes for us, like, okay, Noah getting drunk, that was the bad thing. But what if they just had some old grape juice, according to somebody who said that, <laughs> right? Um, so that was something, and then the, I guess the final thing was um, just seeing the whole chapter 9, um, God blessed Noah, right, because of his obedience, right, and God didn't bless everyone else in that way because of their disobedience, and like, like, likewise, um, Noah had blessed um, some of the sons and grandchildren, the ones that weren't of Canaan, right, and then he cursed Canaan and his Right. Okay, and that and Canaan. Right. Okay, there you go. So anyway, so the ultimate point in that when you think about mankind is that obedience brings blessings and disobedience brings curse uh, to us. So I think we just stop there. Okay. Very good. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. So I'm going to throw something out there. Some of you who've probably listened to the Bama podcast will be aware of this, and some of you this might twist your brain. One of the biggest discussions I heard coming from the group, which was I, I was really glad you got into, what's the big deal about what Ham did in seeing his Noah naked? Mm -hmm. Right? What's that all about? Mm -hmm. All right. So here's a couple of things. I'm not going to super elaborate on this. You can go back to the Bama podcast and listen to some of this. Some of you are shaking your head because you know exactly where I'm going with this. <laughs> what happened? All right. So it's not just Marty Solomon and Bema. You can also research this to see that most of the, or not most necessarily, but a lot of the Hebrew scholars, when, the, when it says that Ham looked at, saw his father naked, it doesn't mean he just visually observed. It means something a lot more. He perceived. He, under, he saw him naked, but he understood some something, opportunity or whatever. 
So what most what these scholars believe is that what Ham did wasn't just see him naked. The word there that's used is usually used in one of two circumstances. One, where there's been a sexual molestation, or two, a castration. What I believe, and what these scholars believe, is that what Ham did was castrate Noah. That's not just my opinion. That makes a lot of sense. Why would then Noah turn around and condemn, curse Canaan? Because when Noah and his sons came out of the ark, what did God tell them to do? Be fruitful and multiply. What could he now not do? Right. And again, there's a lot more tie-ins to all this. You know, Genesis 9 uh, is, is mirroring the creation story. And if you follow that, it gets right in line with this weird stuff back in Genesis 2, 1 about rivers. There being four rivers. And then there's very little about one of those rivers. You know, that, again, there's all kinds of tie-ins. But it makes sense why Noah would be as angry as he was. And why he would then curse Canaan, Ham's son. Right? In other words, you're, you, you destroyed my ability to create more offspring. I'm going to curse your offspring. Mm-hmm. Now, again, maybe that twists your brain a little bit. But uh, that's one of the things in there um, So about why Noah was so upset. Um, what would have been having to do though? That gets into the whole question I, I, I asked about, um, you know, because it does say in Genesis 6 that Noah was righteous and blameless and all that. What was going on in Noah's family that his son, and maybe not just Ham, was that bitter? That he would want to do that? Right? It's maybe there's, you know, more going on. Even though God considered Noah righteous, it didn't necessarily mean he was perfect. And then look at his response. And that's why that last question about if Jesus were Noah, I know it's a weird question, if Jesus were Noah, how would he have responded? Well, I think a couple things. One, he wouldn't have probably acted in such a way that embittered his sons. Two, he wouldn't have got drunk on the wine. And three, even if his sons did castrate him, he wouldn't curse. How do I know that? Because when he was hanging on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Right, like how passed out are you? I don't know. Like for real. Like, I'm, not to be facetious, but yeah. I agree. But like, I this guy just like, experienced the world getting destroyed. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. But, you, hey, I mean, sometimes, you PTSD. know, it's real life. You, How drunk? You know, I mean, you have to be, <laughs> literally, you have to be, like, catatonic. I have been that drunk before. I'll just say that. No, it hasn't been lately, just so you know. It hasn't been lately. I have been that drunk before. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dwayne? No. That's stretching. That's like adding to something. That's my thing is adding because it doesn't say. Yeah. We can stretch our human mind to think that, but that's not what it says. But if you just saw him, right. he's going to be that mad. Right. 
I mean, why are you gonna be that mad because your son saw you mistakenly? Right. Like, yeah, he So let me throw something out there, and I, I get where you're coming from. Don't watch the chosen because there's a lot of stuff in there that's not in the Bible. What do you think about that view? He's making a point. Okay, well, that's, that's cultural. The Chosen is a TV show. The Chosen it depicts their culture. Mm -hmm. So in the same way, what you're saying is the Bible, the words that are used in Genesis 9 might depict castration or molestation. Right. Well, no, not, well, not necessarily saying the words. More so. So all I'm saying is I don't think that God is being explicit about everything in the Bible. I think there it's what I love about the chosen is, okay, I don't know that Jesus spent a whole day playing with these children, like whatever that second episode in chapter in the first season was. But it added to they used it as a great uh, foundation to build the on what God said. I don't look at it as, well, that's not biblical, so I don't believe in any of that. Right. I don't know. Right. right? So I would just encourage you, dig into it. Is it just human conjecture? Yeah, it is clear the Bible does not say that Ham castrated him. But dig into it, see what you come up with, if, if, there, if you think that there's some good you know, support for that. Dwayne? So I think that um, other brothers and sisters really convicted me going into the new year is that um, in kind of all of our scholarship and um, how, you know how smart we are that like we don't have to be that smart to follow Jesus you know? like you could like like even to the point to where I had to draw it back and be like you know like I studied this, I studied that, and I read this and I read that. And I try to funnel all that into increasing my faith. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes when I study the Bible with people, I find myself wanting to include this kind of wealth of knowledge that I've gained from sure. studying chemistry and psychology and reading this philosopher and that philosopher. And it, and it and it's just been convicting me. It's like you don't have to be that smart. Mm -hmm. Like if, if that was a qualification to follow Jesus humbly, with a submissive heart, like that wouldn't be God anymore. Right. Like it's all like and it took me all the way back to the point of, well, do you even have to be able to read? Mm -hmm. But you don't because the scriptures say you have to hear the word yeah, right. and right. believe it. Right. Right. So like I just think that that helps to put some of this into perspective for me that sometimes we're like I'm okay with pumping the brakes on not having it have to be super like elaborate and you've got to learn all this stuff in order to follow Jesus right because this is like that's a lot of scholarship to get to the point to where you a, a person reads that with a humble heart and comes away with it in a way that helps them to follow Jesus like to get from castration to like, it's like I, I'm okay with not being that smart to figure out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I I hear you. And I what I would say to that also is, I think there's knowing enough to be saved. Mm -hmm. 
right? And then I think there's also loving God with all your mind. And this, some of this stuff that these rabbis come up with, they have spent millennia thinking about this stuff, studying this stuff. I agree, we can make it so intellectual that we've made it like, seem like you've got to be the scholar in order to be right with God, which is certainly not true. Most of the Christians in the history of mankind couldn't read. Couldn't read. So we do have to be careful about the emphasis we put on it. At the same time, it does feed my faith when I dig in and learn some of this stuff. I don't feel like everybody has to do that. But I know that's me. I'm built that way and I, I like that. And I think a lot of other people do too. So, yeah. What I hold on to is like when we first started studying Genesis, I remember Jeff saying like it's important to approach, like watch how you approach Genesis. And I hold on to that because there's so many different perspectives and so many different yep. opinions and like yep. that the human mind can only hold and like my brain is like a sponge and like it absorbs everything so I'm kind of like <laughs> like I love diving deeper yeah but then I also have to I'm also like Dwayne like I have to treat my brain like a filter because when I go home there's a lot of disinformation like I will take home with me and like I'll sleep on it and like you know so I just try to filter things out and like watch how I approach um Genesis and like also practice reframing. That was something else Jeff said, like mm-hmm. reframing my mindset. Yep. Yeah. Um, because I think Genesis is like super, super interesting, and like the Old Testament in general. In general, so I definitely mm-hmm. just try to reframe my thought process, which is hard. Sure. Yeah. It's a very hard thing to do. Um, but yeah. 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 Beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. All right. The last things I want to say. Sorry, Zach is. Um, just this whole thing about how Noah reacted to, to Canaan, right? Cursing Canaan because of Ham and all that. And um, I want to read something here I, 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 because I think it doesn't start with, you know, the way that the world got so wicked, it doesn't start there. It starts with how we view nature, God, more of this, this order, God, nature, and our fellow image bearers. Mm -hmm. And if we don't hold those as sacred, we go down, the dominoes start falling, and we end up at a place where we find ourselves thinking and saying and doing things we never would have done before, right? So I just want to, you know, invite you to consider how you look at other image bearers. So I want to read this little section from C.S. Lewis's The Weight of Glory. It is a, he said, it is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. To remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. Or, or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one or the other of these destinations. It is in light of these overwhelming possibilities. It is with the awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all of our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. 
you've never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilization, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the, li- as, as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals that we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. So my little exercise, if you want to dig deeper into this experientially, is called Fellowship First Thoughts. First Thoughts. And it's simply this. When you are about to come into the presence of other image bearers, like here, what are your first thoughts? Just don't judge yourself, but just try to become aware of what your first thoughts are regarding the different people you meet. For example, you might think, that woman is annoying. I think I'll avoid her. Uh, That person is successful. I have something to learn from them, so I'll spend time around them. That person has nothing of value to offer me, so I won't waste my time talking with them. I'm familiar with that person, so I I think I'll spend most of my time talking to them. Uh, That person is not in my generation, political party, etc., Uh, So I know I have nothing in common with them. I need blank, something transactional, from that person. Advice, help, uh, for them to serve in some way, etc. So I'll see if I can get what I need from them. Or, and these are all just off the top of my head. This person is just another regular person. Nothing to pay attention to here. So again, this is one I've done. It's embarrassing to me I've had all of those types of thoughts. Is that how God wants me to view fellow image bearers? And one of the things I started saying to myself when I, was, I knew I was going to be around another Christian was to say, not out loud, I am, all, I am standing on holy ground in the presence of of an image bearer of the divine nature. And it's amazing how that alters my mindset and I think then alters the way I treat people. And we're just talking about people that we know are fellow image bearers. We're not even talking about love your enemies. So I know I threw a lot on you and I'm sorry we went over time. Thank you for all of your thoughts uh, and digging in. Um, <laughs> I, was like, so and, uh, I think we'll remember that for a long time.